Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kevod Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. 4, 3, 2, 1 Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Wednesday, October 25th. I'm going to depart from reading the scriptures today because I want to share a very important teaching with you given recently by Amir Sarfati. The title of the message is Israel, His People, and it aired on the Behold Israel YouTube channel on October 13th. It addresses the topic that has plagued the church for many centuries, replacement theology. Believe it or not, the same question that the Apostle Paul asked 2,000 years ago is still being debated today. Has God cast away his people, the Jews? The issue of replacement theology, the belief that God has transferred to the church the promises he originally gave to Israel, has been a plague on Christianity from its inception. What did some of the early church fathers and reformers teach about Israel? What are some modern pastors and teachers espousing regarding the Jews? Does this issue really matter? Listen in as Amir shares this very timely message, his people, and he looks at how the Word of God answers this all-important question. The question is Israel still his people? Well, you know, I didn't think that you will say something else. <laughs> but I will tell you that from the very first century, when the church was born, it is the church, or at least people who claim to believe in Jesus, that found a way to somehow legitimate or legitimize the descending of Israel from the platform of God's people to pariah, to those that God is now rejecting. And the Apostle Paul could see that coming. Very orthodox Jew that actually wanted to kill Christians or any Jew that became a believer in the Messiah. And then he took a, a road to Damascus experience for him to change his mind. And a true birth from above. So in the 11th chapter of the book of Romans, a book that Paul wrote to a church he hasn't ever visited. And it was a book that is pure doctrine. Of course he visited later on, but when he wrote this in Corinth, 
It, it was before he has ever been to Rome. Pure doctrine. And he talked about Israel in chapter 1 and, in chapter, and even in chapter 50. I mean, it's quite amazing to see the centrality of Israel in the Magna Carta of our faith. And Paul could see, he could see that they're now those people who now join the family of God that might, God forbid, think that God has no longer any plan for it. And that's why he said, I say then, has God cast away his people? His people? The answer is in the question. It's his people. And what was the answer? Certainly not. Paul could see that they're coming a a wave, a tsunami of theologies and theological explanations to why Israel is no longer God's people. And of course, Paul wrote an amazing answer throughout the entire chapter, all the way to the end. If you ever stop in the middle of chapter 11, you will never understand the heart of God. You have to read it all the way to the end. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is true. And we thank you that you gave us the spirit of truth. that leads us to all truth. And we ask now that allow us to listen to words of men. But to Lord, we are here to get closer to you. To know you better. To understand your heart. Love that which you love and hate that. We thank you and we bless you in the name of the Holy One of Israel, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Yeshua, our salvation, we pray, and all of God's people say. So, our 9-11 took place this morning. It's, there's no other way for me to describe it. How many of you are following me on Telegram? What's wrong with the rest of you? <laughs> So, if you're sitting next to one of those, <laughs> you need to let them know why they should get first-hand news from Israel. To some, the question of, has God cast away his people? To some, the answer to that question may seem extremely obvious. So, why devote an entire message to addressing this question? Why isn't this... A rhetorical, rhetorical question when it ought to be? Why is that though we have the prophetic word confirmed, the Bible says? We still have to address this same question that Paul did 2,000 years ago. This is an issue that started in the time of Paul, but since then it's an issue that has paralleled the church's existence until today. And you might not believe me if I said to you, but the vast majority of the people that call themselves Christians nowadays believe that the church has replaced Israel. No, I know you're not. <laughs> I'm telling you what is out there. I'm telling you that this is what the Catholic Church believes. I'm telling you that what's the, uh, that, that's what the um, uh, Orthodox Church believes tell you that much of the Reformed Church believe that? Much, not all. Thankfully, eyes are open. But you will be quite amazed today. 
this toxic teaching of replacement theology that the Lord has transferred his covenant promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the church has a home inside the church to this very day. You can run from it as much as you want. I travel all around the world. I see it everywhere I go. Now, when was that promise to Israel established? We, we all know, we go back to Genesis 12, and he says, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. What is the first thing that we hear? What is the first thing he's going to give him? Land. Because make no mistake, what happened this morning is about the land. And make no mistake, it will always be about the land. Because watch this. There first comes the land. And then he says, I will make you a great nation. And then I will bless you. There is first the land, then the seed, then the blessing. And so when the Jewish people were out of their land, what was the conclusion of some? That the blessing is gone. And that God has forsaken them. And he said also, and I'll make your name great, and, I, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's not talking to all the families of the earth. He's talking to a nation that will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And that's exactly the problem. Some people live in such insecurity... Insecurity in their status in Christ that they think that God cannot love both. So it's either them or us. Now they confuse the fact that yes, he can have a special plan for them. But there's no doubt they will not be saved. No doubt. No one can be saved unless he believes in Jesus as Lord and Savior. No one. In fact, this whole birth from above was something that Jesus said to whom? And who was he? Greek Orthodox or Roman Catholic? <laughs> was an Orthodox Jew. A leader of the Jews. To the Jewish people, a Jewish Messiah who claimed that he's Jew to the Samaritan woman, if you remember, he said... Salvation is not by affiliation. You cannot be born, born again. You have to be born and then be born again. Christianity is the only faith you cannot be born into. You mean I, I says Christian in my diversity? That's wrong. Should be written sinner. There, you have to understand there is... Listen, I remember I, I landed in the Philippines and I talked in the street with someone and... Quoted some verses. So he says, ha, ha, ha. So are you Catholic or born again? And I'm like, is that a menu here? Is there an option? But you understand that there is no Christian who is not born again. There is a sinner who is not born again. Only when you're born again, you are a Christian. I mean, somehow it feels weird to say that, but that's the only way. The people are like, oh, you're so... You know, you, you, you're full of hatred. 
I'm telling you, that's the only way to get saved. That's the only way. But to the Jewish people, there is a promise. And the promise is not that you will be in the new Jerusalem just because you're Jews. No. The promise is as long as the moon and the stars and the sun are there in this world, you will not be wiped away. You will still be a nation before. As humans who live in this world, on this planet, right now, no one can destroy Israel. And I always tell Hamas or Hezbollah or the Ayatollahs, make weapons that destroy the sun, the moon, and the stars. Because only when they will be gone, Israel will no longer be a nation before God. You're wasting your energy. Now, replacement theology is the teaching that all of the promises God made to Israel now belong to the church. Now, you know why it's interesting? Because they only take the blessings. <laughs> you know, you go to Romans 1, you know, and, and it says to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And then they're getting angry. But then you need... So what is the basis of this teaching? Those that hold the replacement theology will seldom refer to it as such. They will not say, I believe in that. They, 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 but their approach typically comes in one. They say that ethnic Israel no longer serves a purpose following the finished work of Jesus. And that the church is now the people that God is working through. And the other approach is, due to its disobedience through the rejection of the Messiah... Israel forfeited its place in God's plan. Now, it's very interesting, as I said. Uh, conveniently enough, those that promote these views are quick to help themselves to God's promises to Israel. But reluctant to inherit the curses and the warnings given to Israel. And that's very interesting. So, I told you in Romans 1, it talks about... Uh, he, I'm not ashamed in the gospel of Christ, remember? To the Jew, remember? And then to the Greek? But in accordance with your hardness and your impatient heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Now look what he says. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Do we understand that it's not only the good things that the Jews are first, but also when God is punishing? You see, when you drive from A to B and there's three traffic lights, there is the first, the second, and the third. The first is not better than the second. It's just the first. That's how you progress from A to B. First, second, third. Well, Christians are angry that the first is first. They think that the first is better. They don't understand. It says to the Jew first and to the Greek. This is how God progresses. That's how God is revealing himself. This is exactly how he started all over with Abraham. After humanity 
prove, him, to prove to him that when they come together, they know nothing but to try to replace and make a name for themselves. Now, how can anyone curse that? Interesting. You can ask Balaam. You know, this magician or false prophet or idol worshiper, whatever you call him, rent a prophet or... I mean, he was hired by the king of the Moabites, Balak. He was hired by him to curse Israel. It says, and, he, and, and, and then what happened? He came to curse Israel and he took up his oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me and come, denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rock I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There, people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the, unright of the righteous, he says, and let my end be like his. And then Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I paid you money. I took you to curse my enemies. And look, you have blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Don't worry. Later on, Schmoozer did something. <laughs> and the doctrine of Balaam is not a great doctrine at all. But I want you to know that Balak, the king of Moab, was smart enough to identify that you cannot beat Israel in the physical realm because God is fighting for them. So it's a spiritual thing. Therefore, he invited someone to curse them, to have a spiritual act. But he was foolish enough to stand against the God of God. And that is exactly that it's a spiritual thing and I can curse them. People must ask themselves, am I a Balak? Smart enough to identify that Israel is a spiritual topic, but foolish enough to choose the wrong side? Now, most often this teaching stems from those who identify with covenant theology, which takes an allegorical approach to Israel in Bible prophecy. It's very interesting. I, I don't understand that. Here I am, flesh and blood, from the tribe of Judah, born in Jerusalem after 2,000 years, but the first generation of my family back in the land, is this allegory? <laughs> Everything he promised to the prophet, he physically fulfilled. If you refuse to take the Bible and thereof God's promises, therefore God's one, literally, you will quickly remove Israel from your doctrinal framework. And that's the problem. So what are the historical roots of that teaching? Teaching like this have paralleled the church throughout the history. And multiple early church fathers, as well as some reformers, erred in this thinking. Even today, many well-known teachers on biblical doctrine. Let's see some of the church fathers and what they had to say about it. Look at Justin Martyr, who lived between 100. He wrote, for the true spiritual Israel, a term that, by the way, is not in the Bible, and descendants of Judah, Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham... Are we who have been led to God through this crucified Christ 
Christ in Israel and Jacob, even so we are the true Israelite race. Okay, that, that might sound a little. Then Irenaeus in 130, from 130 to 200, they who boast themselves as being the house of Jacob and the people of Israel are disinherited from the grace of God. Then Origen, who lived from 184 to 254. And we say this confidence, with confidence that they will never be restored to their former condition. And the invitation of happiness offered them by God to pass to others, the Christians. And Augustine lived in, from 354 to 430. And therefore we ought to take this saying, And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, in Ezekiel 36, not literally, as if they referred to Israel after the flesh, but spiritually as referring to the spiritual Israel. Again, a term that is not. And following the era of the early church fathers, by the time we approach the 7th century A.D., many Jews who became followers of, Christ, of Jesus were actually required to denounce their Jewish heritage by the church. And it's ironic because <laughs> what was the first church if not? And who was Jesus if not the line of the tribe of Judah born of the tribe of Judah? Hello? So what did some of the reformers have to say about Israel? Well, this guy, Martin Luther, said, by the way, he started well. He really thought that the Jews, once he, can, once he exposes the corruption of the Catholic Church, the Jews will understand and they will come to faith. But it didn't happen. Set fire to their synagogues or schools and bury and cover with dirt whatever will not burn, so that no man will ever again see a stone or cinder of them. This is to be done in honor of our Lord and of our Christendom, so that God might see that we are Christians. <clears throat> John Calvin, Augustine is so holy within me. Remember what Augustine said, that he is the true Israel. That if I wish to write a confession of my faith, I could do so with all fullness and satisfaction to myself out of his writing. He didn't talk about Paul or Peter, Augustine. He even said their rotten and unbending stiff-neckedness deserves that they be oppressed unendingly and without measure or end and that they die in their misery without the pity of anyone. It's not only in the 15 and the 1600. Some teachers even today. Very famous pastor who pastored a church in England. Church called All Souls in London. John Stott said the paradox of our position is this. True Jews today are Christians. May I say it again? The true Jews today are Christians. Or if you don't like that expression, try this one. The followers of the Messiah are more truly the people of Israel than those people of Israel who reject him. Junior, not the father. He's still alive. says, be, we believe that the church is essentially Israel. We believe that the answer to what about the Jews is here. We are. And I'm going to quote someone that in many other areas is a great teacher. But when it comes to Israel, there's a problem. Look what he wrote. The promises made to Abraham, including the promise of the land, will be inherited as an everlasting gift only by true spiritual Israel, not disobedient, unbelieving Israel. 
By faith in Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah, Gentile, become heirs of the promise of Abraham, including the promise of the land. In other words, the land of Israel belongs to the Gentiles. <clears throat> Therefore, the secular state of Israel today may not claim a present divine right to the land. But they and we should seek a peaceful settlement, not based on present divine rights, but on international principles of justice, mercy, and practical feasibility. Now, I was invited to speak with him in Amsterdam, and I declined. Because I thought, how can I, from the same pulpit, say that Israel is still God's people, and the other one is saying they're not anymore? <clears throat> you cannot say that from the same pulpit. Now, how does replacement theology contradict the Bible? It contradicts the, the, basically everything. The heart of God, the prophets, and even the apostles. In 1 Samuel 12, 22, it says, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. In Ezekiel 33, it says, Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, If our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? God is not taking pleasure in the death of Israel. God is asking them to repent. And he continues and continues and continues throughout history. Adonai Vish Mareka Yeah Adonai Anavilaka Vikuneka Isa Adonai Anav Ileka Vayaseh Leka Leka Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.